Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi everyone, I'm, well... It's obvious. I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in the 80s in Sydney. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Units spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. This season, we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes, and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family... From the Morehouse murders to haunted highways. This season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Now, every week on Loose Units, Dad and I deal with true crime cases, and many of the cases we talk about are ones that have been quite prominent in the press, whether they are cases set overseas or whether they are iconic Australian cases. But today, Dad, you said that you had a story you wanted to share that was something that might be kind of off the books, if that makes sense. Is that correct? Mm, Yep. Um, When I was in fingerprints in the 1980s, I was very fortunate to work with a gentleman known as Sergeant Barry Fay. To be clear, is because in Electric Blue, I took characters who are real people and I kind of mashed them together, changed their names, made up different attributes to kind of hide their identities. At any point, was there anyone in Electric Blue in your time in forensics uh, over in the science division? Was there anyone in that book who was based on Barry Fay, or is Barry Fay a completely new player in the Loose Units pantheon? Um, <clears throat> look, he was a unique character. In fact, he's still alive and he still is unique. Oh, great. Uh, he will probably be unique until he passes away. He's a bit of a legend uh-huh. in the New South Wales police force and further abroad, I must say, because he was regarded, aside from being a fingerprint expert, he was tenacious, dogged, and... I don't quite remember how it came about, but listeners may recall that my father, Hank Mm -hmm. Verhoeven, ended up doing a lot of editing, and I mean a lot of editing for the Australian Police Journal. And he and Barry became friends, and Barry once sent my dad a Mm -hmm. beautiful pen, which is an appropriate gift for, you know, Barry's view of... I mean, if you're going to give something like a present to an editor... Yeah. Uh, certainly not so much today, although I guess there is, I mean, people still have a certain fondness for people having the ability to actually 
grab a stick with a device at the end which, which emits <laughs> either uh, sort of a, a graphite based grey substance or I've or never ink. heard anyone describe that I've never heard anyone describe a, a pencil or a pen quite as alien as that but as an editor as somebody because I've done a lot of editing myself and what's interesting is you will get somebody who is not a writer not a storyteller not an author and you get a whole bunch of stuff that they have I mean, Dad, come on, this has been my job with you. Mm. You tell stories and I take them and finesse them. I, I know that obviously an editor is a different th- editor is different to a to what I do, which is take stories and create semi-fictional stories based on those stories. Your dad's job with the work of, let's say, Barry Fay was to, I assume, clean it up, fix the grammar, maybe tweak the, you mm. know, some of the sentence structure a little bit. Correct. Yep. So, and, and to try and do it in a way that retains the flavor of oh, the no. writer's yeah. voice, right? Yeah, because it's not up to the editor. The editor's not a writer. No, no, no. They're, they're not, not there to, to change the... And it can be very distressing and upsetting, mm. and rightfully so. And now that is... It's, so it's a very subtle job and my father edited some very very famous stories in the annals of crime did he ever talk about what that was like for him did he find it confronting at all or no he was very um methodical and also yeah he never but he had a great respect uh and fondness for barry fay in fact the very very famous milpera bikey massacre one of the great stories in the annals of australian crime true Mm. crime my father edited that story the Australian Police Journal. Wow. And we my... should, yeah, we should take a look at his uh, his version and the Police Journal's version of that case mm. at some point, I think. Yeah, yeah. So there was a, a very good relationship. But when I was in fingerprints, I remember Barry Fay, you know, these experts who mm. would go in, into the, the greatest courts in the land and give expert evidence. Um, yeah. He told me a story, I, or he made, he made reference to a story. And that was um, this particular series of um, sexual offences that occurred in the early 70s in Blacktown. Mm-hmm. The monocle, the, the official name for the, almost you could say the task force, because that's how yeah. big it got, mm-hmm. uh, this person or persons were, were known as the Blacktown Rapist. And... We're not going to use that term a lot during this episode, but I think people are going to, you know, be aware. I think, yeah, I think if we're going in with a trigger warning, everybody, there's going to be a lot of talk about uh, sexual lot. assault, rape. Yep. Uh, this is an episode about that. That's so right. if you are if you feel like that's going to be too much for you, feel free to dip out until next week. That's totally fine. But for everyone else, this is... Would you say this is... Is the Blacktown Rapist the name given to the yes. perpetrator? Okay, that's, okay. that's what he... In fact, I've I've actually seen photographs, and so have you, Paul, mm. um, from a classified you them, document. You, you sent them through this morning. It was quite... Yes. yes. Yeah. And you will note, without jumping too far, Ed, which I have a tendency to do, mm-hmm. that this whole case, in terms of catching the offender, relied on fingerprints. And... I'm going to say latent fingerprints. And for the listeners that are not up to speed with that term, a latent print is a print left at the scene of a crime by perpetrator or perpetrators. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in the movies, we all see the fingerprint guy comes in or girl, they they whip out their fancy kit, 
get their little brushes out. They look at what they've got, the surface, the color, the environment. They then determine based on experience and scientific, you know, sort of knowledge, how they're going to best apply certain substances to bring up a latent print which is invisible to the human eye. And there are all sorts of ways they do it. Now, listeners, something exciting. This happened in 1973. Uh, the first offence was December 10th, 1972. Very, very important event happened that day, which we'll go into. But you, there was a lot of DNA evidence left at every single crime. There were, there were pubic hair, head hair, sperm. I mean, well, I think they, they say semen. Um, there was so much DNA. But guess what? DNA wasn't, it wasn't happening. Right. So you would have the actual physical matter, the evidence left behind, but you couldn't... Couldn't do anything with it. Or, I'm, see, I don't know when DNA testing came in, but when did this... When, were the, when was this actually happening? I, now, this my assumption... Okay, because my assumption was that this was happening because Barry uh, was basically a contemporary of yours in many ways. So yep. I thought, I thought it was going to be happening during the '80s. But um, some of the photos you sent through are dated back. '72 uh, was the first one I could. Okay, Correct. so yeah, when is the when is the first offence? Okay, so it's December the tenth, nineteen seventy-two. Okay, now it's an, it's an important um, sort of. It, this is the first offence mm-hmm. that that brought the police to this was the genesis of a frightening and terrifying series of sexual assaults that occurred in the Blacktown area during that period now obviously when they go to the very first one they don't know it's like a serial killer Mm. it's not a serial killing with the first person so it's not until there's been a string of string of uh with with a similar with a similar MO that you start to go, oh shit, there's a pattern here, it's a bit of a spree. Okay. So the first one's just an isolated crime as far as the police it's are concerned. It's an isolated crime. But gotcha. It's it's happening in a in a very um I'm gonna use the word normal, a word I don't like to use a lot, but let's I'm just trying to create a picture of a suburban street in mm. a classic city that could be anywhere across the world, but yeah. it's a it's a neighbourhood where the neighbours were, were close. Were, where, were, um, by the way? Where is in Blacktown. This, where is this happening? It's a Blacktown suburb West, in Western Sydney. Gotcha. Okay. And without harping on about it too much, I just want to make reference to the listeners that are not aware of that particular part of Sydney that uh, during my time in the police force in the 80s, Blacktown was regarded... I mean, if you were a police officer stationed at Blacktown... You had your work cut out for you. Let's just say that. It was not like Mossman Police Station where I had the privilege of working, although there's an underbelly, as we know, in affluent as suburbs. Dad, yeah, I mean, in, in your in your defence, Dad, you have spent quite a bit of time labouring the point that uh, there's just as much crime happening in the rich suburbs. It's just it's it's better hidden, basically, is what you've said, mm. uh, which I find incredibly disturbing. But also, I just wanted to make sure that listeners knew that you weren't being a class warrior here. Oh, so... Not a chance. Great, but okay. um, so there's a there's it's a tight neighbourhood. It's mm-hmm. a friendly street, and one of the households in this particular street in Blacktown decide to have a pre-Christmas party. Okay, and they invite 
a lot of people. Now, Hang on, a, isn't this in? When is this? What what date is this? This is in just prior January, to, you said. No, December. Just prior December, to Christmas. Sorry, yes. In seventy two. This is the very yep. very first event that we're aware right. of. So there's the yeah. party happening, and now the wife, in mm-hmm. her thirties, she, is not well. She says to her husband, "It's okay, you go to the party." So the husband goes to this. It would have been a pretty hardcore party, listeners, because around about 3 a.m., she's asleep. Mm -hmm. The husband is still at the party. Now, she says that the party kept her awake. God knows I'm used to that with loud music. She could hear it. And then around about 11 o'clock, 11 p.m., just before midnight, she, she senses that... It's a good party. She can hear things happening. It, it makes her feel comfortable. You know, she can hear familiar noises and she drifts off to sleep. Now, around about three in the morning, husband not home. She, she wakes up and she's just aware mm-hmm. that something soft is being placed over her head. Oh, God. Okay. Now, the her bedroom's dimly lit. She... She struggles, of course, and she realizes that there's a man standing over her, okay? And he's holding a blanket. And what he's trying to do is wrap the blanket around her head. She, imagine the terror. She, she sits up, she screams, and the intruder basically drops something on the floor, runs from the room, and at first she still thought because mm-hmm. she's sort of in that sort of that semi-conscious state. Half asleep. It's, yeah. it's the husband yeah. and he's arrived home drunk, okay? Mm-hmm. But she sort of sensed there was something out of character. But the last thing you're going to imagine is that there's a stranger, you know, that's sort of in your room. And so what What does she do? Does she go and get help? Or she wouldn't if she thought no, it was... No, well, she's you know, all tangled up in the bedclothes because yeah, okay. this guy's tried to basically wrap her up. She manages to get sort of free herself and she looks down the hallway mm. and she sees a stranger turning off the lights. Oh, God. And then what she does, she panics and she runs back into... No. Yeah, she runs into her bed. Ready for this? What? She runs back into her bed and she pulls the blankets over herself and she just basically lies there paralyzed with fear. She can, can hardly my, breathe. My exasperation here is not with her decision-making because... No one should have to make these decisions. It's clearly fear makes you do things. No, I'm not blaming. Horrific. Yeah, absolutely. It's she's, a fucked situation. She's, okay. okay. She's seen someone in her house. She's something's happened in her bedroom. Someone has has basically held a basically blankets over her her face. Yeah. Um, the guy has at this stage, let's call it a a man, has then mm. run away. She's sort of untangled herself, looked down the corridor, dimly lit. And sees this person turning lights off. Now this is a little bit important. It'll become more more relevant as to why he was doing that. But then, as I said, she's back in bed. Imagine it's like in something out of a horror film, where they would film this person, this potential victim, just lying under the doona, just going fuck. Just this is not happening. And then all of a sudden, she hears footsteps. And She's lying there. She, she, according to her report she made later on, she literally had stopped breathing. 
She was in, she was absolutely horrified. Then all of a sudden, in an instant, all the bed covers are violently pulled off her. Okay? And she starts to scream. And then the offender, who's holding a long bladed knife, he puts now, would that knife, be a knife. Would that be a knife that he had brought from somewhere else, or would he have grabbed that from Paul? Let's. Uh, Great on. question. I. Okay. It's a very, very good question. Um, and based on what I know about the fingerprint evidence that will unfold, mm. I. I. You know, it makes sense because he's very brazen to actually take one of the knives in the kitchen, because mm. if he's out on the street carrying a knife. And he gets yeah. pulled out by the police. Yes, that's very, very hard to explain. Yeah. Okay. So that's a, it's a very good point. Something that is actually not addressed in the story. So let's. You would have you would have made a very good detective, Paul. Oh, thank you. Let's let's skip the details of the actual act itself because I don't know how. Well, it was basically he 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 um he basically held a knife at her throat and, and he. Well, lots of acts. Like, let's yeah. just say lots and lots. And, and interestingly, the police in the um, in the write-up in this restricted publication describe um, the acts that he committed on her body. And I think it's important not to go into specifics, but just to just to say that there was written up as as perversions. Now, perversions. Uh, yes, it will leave a lot of um, it leaves a lot to your imagination which I think we can just basically assume he committed mm. all sorts of atrocities. Yes. Um, aside from the actual act of intercourse. Was there and, anything and, was there anything particularly unique that wasn't specific? Did he do anything specifically unique during it which which set this apart from Well other- he was well he savagely bit her on the breast. That's that's and um, he also, I mean, it gets worse. I mean, hmm. this is the first known case, listeners. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, we're dealing with a topic that's tough, tough to deal with. Um, yeah. But we also don't want to sort of, you know, we want to make it as realistic as possible. But, yeah. you know, people have been listening to these podcasts for a long time and they, they understand uh, the subtleties, the nuances behind what is not said. I think hmm. that's quite important. Let's just say that it's it's horrific. It's we now know, mm-hmm. or I can say to the listeners and you, Paul, that this was the first sexual assault. That so he how many? Well, I'm curious as to what happens once he's once he's done committing the crime. Does he run no. from the place? No, does- no, no. This is when it gets interesting. What he then does, listeners, Mm -hmm. is he then searches the house for money. Wait, he robs the place afterwards? He robs it afterwards. So, and that's interesting. And that that comes to fruition in terms of what we now know in terms of at the end of the podcast, we're going to reveal certain things Mm -hmm. that will then help the listener understand how he came to be known as the Blacktown Rapist. Because you don't just... It's unlikely that a person one night decides to go out and rape people. Mm-hmm. 
there's there's generally a precursor. Uh, but I'd, uh, again, I'm being very careful in not giving too much away. Um, so what does he take? What does he what does he do? You said he um, robs the place. What does he actually get away with? Money. He's after money. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. And... You know, when the rapist, the, when this offender leaves, mm-hmm. he just he just vanishes into the night. But does she catch a good look at the guy? She catches a, a bit of a, a look and he has a few sort of characteristics. He's got a particular characteristic that runs through the entire thread of this story and that is he's got relatively long hair. Okay. And she described it as being fairly greasy. It is the 70s at this point, it's so I 70s. guess long hair is not... Too out of character. Was he young, old, tall, short? Paul, at this stage, we don't... Paul, at at this stage, the estimate is between 20 and 30. And he's he's skinny. Um, And, I mean, all up, he got about $30 from the house. He basically ransacked the house. He has assaulted this woman at knife point. Yeah. For a long time, mm-hmm. he's, you know, he just leaves this woman there distressed, and then she. So she basically, her. She, also, another thing to consider is that not consider, but one of her sort of observations that he was 180 centimeters tall, which is around about five foot ten. No, I'm one. No, no, I'm one eighty six. And You're I'm, six foot. Uh, I'm six foot two, so technically he was almost, yeah, almost six foot. So it's not short. No. 186 is not. It's not short. True, but also he did mm. talk because he makes threats. He tells her what he's going to do and what he will do if she doesn't submit. Uh-huh. Based on that, she said that she felt he had an Australian background. Okay, so the, the fingerprint. And the forensic guys, they attend in the morning mm-hmm. and they they dust for prints. But 
they do find a latent fingerprint. But one latent fingerprint pre-computer age, when it's all manual, you can't... Useless? You oh. can't, useless. You don't know what finger it is. But does it get put on file anyway? It, it, they, they keep it. Okay, great. Okay, good. So that's yep. one of the things about this story. Yep, they keep everything the, on file. Correct. And then eight days later... Mm-hmm. Is this um, another... Is, what, same is woman, second, eight days later. The same... Wo- the woman receives phone calls. Hang on, so how is, he, how is he getting her number? Not telling you yet. That's, okay. that's for you to try oh, and boy. work on. But, but he calls the victim. And yep. and refer to her by her name, and she said that he appeared to be very much aware of all her movements. And he said to her, and this is the most one of the most chilling things a rapist can say to a woman, is that he mm. tells her, "I'm going to come back." Okay, and her husband corroborated yeah. that evidence because he overheard the conversation. Right, so she's picked up the phone sometime during the day. She gets a call and he, she's like, oh, it's the fucking guy. Oh, okay, can I just... Um, can I throw in a few yep. uh, theories at this point? So yes, definitely. M- my first thought is that he's a local. Because yep. um, if you're out walking in your neighborhood and you start spotting somebody, who, if you're a predator and you start spotting somebody you want to target and you're walking past their house every day, that seems like that would make sense. Also... I, I vaguely remember rotary phones. Do, listeners, home phones are a novelty now. They basically don't exist. We get a yellow pages in our building once a year and it's a, it's a pamphlet now. Home phones are pretty much restricted purely to very specific businesses and old people. Mm. But back in the day, I seem to recall rotary phones in many houses. You'd have the phone and then um, in a little kind of uh, plastic window above the dial part- Teledex. There was often- Teledex. Yes. But sometimes the number of the actual phone that you were using would be printed out or handwritten in this little card and above the phone. So is it possible that he saw the number for the home phone and went, I'm going to call her later and took a note of the... Don't, you know what? Don't confirm. I just want to know, do, uh, do any of these, any of those two theories hold water with you or... Um, yeah, I, I like <laughs> it. But Paul, okay. yeah. as an aside or running parallel to this particular incident... For uh-huh. many, many months, there was a... They described him as a, a fetish-type thief, okay? But what Why this particular person was doing is that at night time, he would mutilate women's underwear that was hanging on clotheslines. And do you recall that expression or police term, snowdropper? Do you oh, recall God. that term? Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. Okay, so a snowdropper, listeners... Um, is a person that at night time, mm-hmm. you're not, certainly not going to do this during the day, although, wow, probably it has happened, but you'd have to have a lot of gall, is you sneak into the backyards of women. So, mm-hmm. again, this sort of ties it in. You're not going to drive many, many suburbs away just to pick a house and kind of randomly like a winning a scratch lottery Mm. pop into someone's backyard and lo and behold find some female underpants hanging no which brings it back to your first theory paul Mm -hmm. was he a local and 
let's just say that's a very, very good theory. The snowdropping thing, without sort of harping on about it, the offence of snowdropping in a nutshell, listeners, is that you will go over to the clothesline, you, on the balance of probabilities, will strip down because it's dark, you'll put the female underpants or underpants on, you will then masturbate furiously, and then you'll hang the pants back up on the line, which is pretty scary for the person that generally, back in the 70s, it would be the mum would come out to the hill's hoist, which is a type of Australian clothesline with a winder on it, sitting there with a little path that made its way to this sort of suburban sort of yeah i mean it was up kids used to swing from them and all of a sudden she she pulls down her um i was going to say she pulls down her, her pants but that that's sort of technically she'd reach up and remove the pants and then she'd be examining them and thinking hang on these are, i washed these yesterday right. and they're supposed to be dry and they're covered in some sort of slippery she might have thought it was a snail Oh, God, I'm starting to lose the oh, thread. God, so sorry. Oh, no, but it's, it's it's part of what we do. Um, bring some brevity into this fucked up story. Um, I'm just saying, Paul, that when you said local, I I think that that carries some serious weight because it's uh-huh. got to be someone that uh, it's not just these people are not chosen at random. These victims, and then of course, 21 days later on Saturday. December 31st, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's New Year's Eve. The, I'm going to call him for what he, what he was back then. The rapist was active. This is the second offence. Okay. And it was in the same general area of Blacktown. And it was only 500 metres, which is four-fifths of Sweet FA, mm-hmm. from the first assault. Okay? Again, it's the same MO. It's the same time. It's around about... Three in the morning, and it's mm-hmm. a young mother. Okay, and her situation is that she's asleep. She becomes aware of, and she made particular reference to this that the hands of the offender were ice cold, and the molest- he's molesting her. This is in. Okay, so we're in Australia. And it's early in the year, so it's not because it's cold out. It's hot. Uh, yeah, it's hot. So his hands I'm are freezing. Ba- I'm thinking bad circulation. I'm maybe. thinking. I'm, I'm thinking maybe he was uh, in the kitchen, um, having a drink, got something out of the fridge. Uh, because Paul. Hmm. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a little bit of a, a spoiler in here. Be this... very very careful. I don't want to. No, but. Part of his MO is a thief. And Paul, crazy as this is going to sound, but not so crazy, where do you think some people hide money? In the fridge. Correct. Or if you're you in the toaster. But yes, I see. Says Okay, so he's been looking in the fridge. All right, all right. Yep. That's my theory. That is one that, to my knowledge, was not espoused at the time. But I think it's important. Okay to know that the hands were ice cold, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, if you're about to commit an atrocity on a a sleeping woman, uh, you're going to be pumping adrenaline. You're not going to be, you know, you're not going to have cold hands, okay? Then suddenly she found her head, sorry, her arms, they were being forced above her head. And then she feels the 
full weight of a naked man sitting on her chest and he was demanding oral sex from her and she was she was winded as well okay and she started to scream and then he basically says to her if you scream uh you know i've got a knife and i'm going i'm gonna put it right through you is it the same knife is it the same make is it a long bladed knife or it's it's a it's a sharp knife okay you know that was it the same knife i don't know but um okay she starts to cry she's really really terrified because what happens is the mother who's lying Mm -hmm. there with a naked man straddling her with her arms above her head she starts to hear her two-year-old daughter calling oh god and the daughter's in a cot okay get ready for this the offender Mm -hmm. allows the potential victim to console the baby can you believe that he actually says to her you can attend to your baby so the mother calms the the two-year-old down and then he he then commits uh, atrocities on this particular woman with the threat of death and he as the police said he subjected her to um, sexual indignities for almost an hour and he, 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 I know we don't like to use the word Paul, but he, he, you know, from the police report, and I don't, mm-hmm. he raped her repeatedly. That's something that I have never been able to fathom. Um, I don't understand uh, how that can happen. So what must happen, I guess, um, is that the offender goes into this, basically this insane psychotic sort of lustful rage and it just and it just went on and on and on and the poor woman who's got the baby next to her he's uh, at times he's got a knife at her, at her neck and um and it just goes on and on for over an hour and then the thing about one of the things about this story as it's going to unfold paul uh because there's a lot more to come is that all or pretty well, it's all of these women are married, but every single time something happens, the husband is away, and in many cases, that will be revealed, the husband actually is a shift worker. So again, so you have to sort of you, know. You just think, hang on, this yeah. is not a random thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, then the offender, he he hops off the bed. He he's he's naked. He's standing there. And he puts a jacket over her head and he then threatens through her, the child. He says, I'm going to kill your child if you take this jacket off your head because he doesn't want to be seen. Okay. And then she hears him turn the lights on and he, she's lying there. She knows that he's in the room. To her knowledge, at that stage, he still is naked and he then begins to get dressed and then she can hear, because imagine how heightened your senses are. He starts to go through the wardrobe and the chest of drawers 
And clearly what he's doing, he's looking for possessions, for money. He searches the room really, really thoroughly. And he then says to her and talks about the husband's whereabouts. And she says to him, my husband's on, on night shift and he finishes at seven. And then suddenly she says, oh, and sometimes he comes home early. You'd, you'd better leave now. That's a quote. And he just didn't, it didn't faze him. Mm. He's unperturbed, Paul. What does that tell you? He knows the husband's not coming home. He knows the husband's not coming he home. He knows. Because he's clearly, he's been watching the house, I assume. And he, uh, based on his reconnaissance, he knows that that's not true. That's right. That would be, be my assumption. Yeah. I agree, agree totally. And for at least 20 minutes after, he, she became aware that he was just ransacking the entire home. And, you know, he, he got money. Uh, and then she gets up, dresses quickly, grabs the child, and she runs to her neighbours. The police are alerted. And the police discovered that he'd removed a fly screen from a rear window. Okay. He then reaches through, unlocks the back door. Yeah. And he took coins, but something very, very interesting that listeners, I want you to pay particular attention to one item that he stole because it's going to it's going to come back to us maybe in the next episode. Maybe the one after that, who knows? But he stole a three oh three rifle that was fitted with a telescopic sight uh-huh. and thirty three rounds of ammunition. Okay? Now, so there was a gun on the property, and there was ammo on the property. And whilst he's doing his um, his theft, he takes the gun and the ammo. And can um, you imagine just having committed that, unperturbed, not phased, steals mm-hmm. a massive fucking monster rifle? Three hundred three is a big gun, yeah. and I don't think he's going to be walking down the street with it. Which then makes you think: Does he live really close oh, by, or does he have a or car? Or did he drive? Yeah. Okay. Okay, and sense. they get the fingerprint technicians in. They discover some more latent fingerprints, but only a few. Now, what they could do, based on the prints that they found, what they do is they eliminate the occupants. Mm. That's really important to do. But they found a couple of fingerprints. And they th- it looked like three fingers. So there mm. are still seven unknown. So it's a dab of three fingers. But mm. they were found on a toolbox and they believe that the toolbox had been opened and handled by the offender okay so they began and i'm looking at a photograph of the three latent prints that you can mm. see also paul and the husband um you know notified the police with the serial numbers of the gun and gave them all the details and that's i think paul i think we 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 should leave it there let me um, just bring up one more thing before we wrap this uh, beginning of our multi-part episode. Did she get a look at him and did the description line up with the previous crime? Uh, yes, good call, Paul. So <clears throat> her description yep. was, let me think. He was around about, she says 176, but that's close enough mm-hmm. to 180. Thin build again. And she says between, and she was quite specific, between 21 and 27 years of age, shoulder-length bushy hair, okay? And she said he had a young voice with a slight accent. 
So that's that's interesting. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Well, I thought this would be a quick case, and uh, you've actually sent me a bundle more photos and information during the record, and it's starting to look like this is a multi-part episode. So, we'll be back uh, next week with an episode of Lucian, It's the Shadow Files, dealing with what appears to be part two of our look at the Blacktown Rapist, a case that I am horrified and fascinated by. We'll be back at the end of the week on Friday, as usual, with a brand new episode of Loose Ends, where we go off topic to sort of, like, as I've said before, Dad, it's a palate cleanser. And, as I've said before, we have listeners who only listen to Loose Ends because they don't like true crime, they're just like us. And honestly, that's that's very sweet as well. But one more thing before we go. Thank you so much to everyone who's hopped onto our Facebook discussion group and who has joined up and said hello. Feel free to go across and pop into our mentions, keep posting memes, keep, uh, you know, reaching out to us. We really love the interaction. And keep sending us your thoughts on Electric Blue, which is my second book about Dad's time on the police force in the 80s in forensics. I've gotten some really great feedback about it recently, Dad. Some people have been listening to it, actually. Uh, A couple of people have signed up to Audible specifically so that they can listen to Electric Blue. And the bonus there is that you get to hear Dad cameoing in the audiobook. It's really fun. So, uh... In summary, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Cheerio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.